And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL draft is now officially open. Welcome back to Prospects to Pros on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Dane Brugler. He's Lance Zerline. Uh, Lance, what's going on with your Astros right now? Oh. It's a disaster. It's I, I feel like they're not being outplayed by the Rays, but they're getting out defended. The the Rays, it's like they have 12 players in the field. And then uh, you know, Jose Altuve just can't make a throw from second. And so, you know, we've seen this in baseball before. You know, it's interesting, Dane. We've seen it with um Mackie Saster, who was a catcher. Rich Ankiel had to change positions. Right. Steve Sachs, Chuck Knobloch. I've never, you know, we've never seen, I don't recall. Have you ever seen something similar with a football player, whether it was fumbles or a quarterback who just like, I don't recall ever seeing a professional quarterback completely lose his touch or his accuracy. Um, yeah. Or just a certain route that he just couldn't throw anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't, it, I don't recall being an, a mental, a mental thing. Right. Yeah. And you know, let's, I mean, I don't know with, with Josh Allen, there are some times where he just, the easiest throw is the hardest for him to make, you know, like it's just, and that's, that's something you watch, you watch him on tape at Wyoming, you watch him with the bills. Sometimes that wide open, uh, you know, dump off route is, is kind of, sometimes it's the hardest because it's, uh, it's wide open and then he'll rip off a perfect strike downfield. So it's, but I, I agree with you. I don't think that we necessarily, at least there's not a, a, a you know, a, a, perfect example of a of a quarterback that just can't make that out route anymore just you know it's there's a a mental block uh that we've seen in baseball it's just really weird i do think though when the less time you have to think about it like if you look at altuve's errors Mm -hmm. it's when he has to think about it when you look at josh allen you're talking about easy throws drew Locke had some of the same stuff in college where you see it's an easy throw and it's almost like they think themselves they, they start to they start to aim instead of throw. Right. And when you aim, of course, there's some some technique stuff at play here. I was um, – who was I watching the other day? I was watching tape of a quarterback. I'm trying to recall. Oh, it was um, Jamie Newman. And mm-hmm. I'm watching his shoulder keep dipping, his elbow down, his shoulder down, and he's having some ball sail on him. And I think that's – you know, that kind of stuff is correctable. But when you start – when it becomes a mental thing and you start aiming too much – as a quarterback and you're not just cutting it loose and, and there's too much thinking instead of reacting. That's the number one problem in, in football is guys who think play slow guys who react can play fast and you have to be reactive and to get reactive, you have to be instinctive, but you also have to have, um, you know, you have to have repetition so that you get to that point yeah. of being, you know, of being comfortable and, and, I know I, I know this is going to lead us into a, a, a kind of an off script conversation here, but I think something interesting is going on right now with Deshaun Watson, with Lamar Jackson, um, 
with some of these quarterbacks who have had some success in the past and teams are playing them a little differently and they're forcing them Now, Deshaun, it's because he doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins, but with Lamar right. Jackson, he's seeing a lot more zero blitzes. Um, I know some different defenses have tried to force him to play outside in instead of inside out. And it is interesting to see these quarterbacks go through growth and sometimes go through growing pains. And that's why what a guy does in college is so very important. However, I would say that when you look at, and I want to get your opinion on this, when you look at Justin Herbert, yep. he didn't have wide receivers, and that had to be mentioned that his wide receivers didn't get open all the time. Josh Allen, same thing for him in Wyoming. But when you start talking about um, Justin Herbert, I didn't see him do some of these. I saw flashes of what he's doing with, with the chargers. I did not anticipate him being this confident this early. Oh yeah. He's playing loose. Uh, He's playing with a ton of confidence. And, uh, you know, I, I go back to his junior year at Oregon where he made a play against Washington. Uh, It was in the red zone. He scrambled toward the sideline and just threw a seed uh, where only his guy could get it. And that's where he is at his best, but we just didn't see it consistently enough. And you know, I, I think it's you when you evaluate quarterbacks, you have to separate the reasons from the excuses. And was the reason that we didn't see that consistently because the Oregon offense, whether it was the play calling, whether it was the supporting cast, was it holding him back? Or is that just an excuse that we're making for a quarterback that we want to like? We just, you know, it, we have to kind of connect the dots for why the consistency has, isn't been there. And that's where it's just a, a, a mind-numbing uh, exercise you go through when you evaluate these quarterbacks to try and figure them out. And Herbert, a great example with the, the success that he's had early on. Uh, and I give him a lot of credit uh, for not being the guy. I mean, even after he gets his first start, his head coach comes out and says, Look, he he made some mistakes. He's a backup for a reason, and you know he was still able to uh, you know brush that off, go out there the next week and play well. And we saw what he did this past week uh, on Monday Night Football. So yeah, he's he's a really talented player who is playing with a ton of confidence. And it, you know, you mentioned Watson and, and Jackson, uh, how defenses are adjusting. I'm really eager to watch uh, Justin Herbert the rest of the year to see. Yeah, how does he develop based off how defenses are going to game plan against him? Whether that's you know keep making sure to keep him in the pocket or you know just the different coverages. It, it's going to be really interesting to watch it and really going to test Herbert as a quarterback. Yeah, and listen, um, he he benefits from having a big target, Mike Williams, from having a ball winner mm-hmm. in in Keenan Allen, who's a great route runner. Um, there's and and I love the play action game. I think it suits him the play action offense that allows him to kind of get into a flow and a rhythm um, working off play action. But a lot of times you don't see, we saw this with Baker Mayfield. You don't see the changes until the second year where defenses have, have kind of game planned you. They studied you, they've created, you know, what your tendencies are and your patterns. They take their data, they take their tape and they find what you like to do and they try to take it away. So that's where the chess match a lot of times starts is the second year, the first year, a lot of times, you know, funny enough, it's kind of a, it can be a quarterback's advantage, at least in a certain regard, because they don't really have the book on you um, necessarily. The second year, a lot of times they get the book on you. And I think right now, Lamar Jackson's going through that. But, you know, you make a really good point. And I hadn't heard that. I hadn't heard that phrase. Is this your phrase to re- separate reasons from excuses? Yeah, I came up with it last year. Studying That's a great love. one. 
Yeah, that's a great well, Okay, yeah. so what did you say? Because I thought there were excuses for Jordan Love, right. and I was not into Jordan. I saw things that I thought would fail him on the next level, too. So I, I was not big team Jordan Love, personally. Yeah, and I wasn't either. And I, I don't know that I really came to a, a firm conclusion. I was still you know, battling with it uh, because same thing with Jordan Love. He didn't have the best supporting cast around him when you consider, uh, you know, he came back for his – his redshirt junior year, and then you know he lost uh, you know nine starters around him. He didn't have uh, you know the best receivers. Uh, his coaching staff moved on, so he's dealing with uh, you know a new play caller. Things like there's so many things, and it's like okay, those are reasons, but maybe they are also excuses. And it's just it, it's tough to weed through that, and it's it just takes a lot. And it's, we're going to be going through that with with Trey Lance, especially this year. Uh, you know, an FCS quarterback with 17 career starts and. Um, you know, as we kind of work through uh, his evaluation. So it, it is really, it, it's a really tough thing to do. It's a challenge, but I, I think it helps form our opinion of these quarterback prospects when you, when you look at it, either excuses or are they reasons? Yeah. And I think something that's important to remember when you're evaluating quarterbacks is that, okay, you can have a quarterback. And, and if you say, well, this guy had this around him and that around him, it's okay to get a quarterback and make sure that you put things around. You should always be trying to, every team should, should try to put the best they can around quarterbacks that they consider to be franchise quarterbacks. I think the difference between a difference between an Aaron Rodgers getting paid a ton of money and then another quarterback, like a Kirk cousins getting paid a ton of money is you want to know that if something happens to your skill position players, your quarterback or something happens to your offensive line or whatever the case may be, your quarterback has the talent to elevate those around him with his intelligence or his toughness or his acumen or his uh, athleticism or his arm talent, whatever the case may be. There's a big difference between snap takers and game breakers and the game breakers out there can make winning plays no matter what the situation is. Now, not all the time. Obviously, you have to have something in place, but game breakers can win games because of their talent. Snap takers, and there's nothing wrong with being a snap taker, but snap takers need things to be right around them, that they can perform at a high level if they have things right around them. Game breakers, they, they're special from team to team. Wherever you want to drop them off, they're special. And there's not a lot of those guys. Those That's truly elite talent. But what's happening now, Dane, from a team building standpoint, is snap takers are being paid game breaker money. That's what's happened at the quarterback position. So the Texans are already paying Deshaun Watson game breaker money. He makes some game breaking plays. There's no question, but he has to do it consistently. Kirk Cousins, he's a snap taker. It is what right. it is. So you need him to play exceptionally well, but you have to keep things stocked around him, which I would say they've done a really good job of that in Minnesota relative to, you know, what Justin Jefferson has done this year. And of course, Thielen and Dalvin Cook, but um, that's one of the hardest things for me, Dane, is projecting a quarterback's ability to excel for a bad team because let's face it the best quarterbacks like joe burrow to a um to a lesser extent herbert they're going to lesser i'll leave herbert out of it tua and joe burrow are going to teams with holes and with flaws and do they have the mental toughness to overcome it and do they have the talent to elevate those around them yeah, we're seeing that with uh, Dwayne Haskins right now uh, in Washington. He he might never take another snap for that organization, and part of it is because uh, of the way he's handled things uh, when things haven't gone right uh, around him. Uh, and 
there's a lot more that goes on uh, with that. But uh, I mean, this is not the conversation I expected to have based off uh, my Astros question, but I'm glad <laughs> we had it because it was uh, it, it, that was really interesting stuff. And so uh, I did want to talk today about uh, we, we need to touch on Alabama, Georgia coming up this weekend. A lot of future pros playing in that game. Uh, you know, one of the biggest college football regular season matchups that we'll have this season. Um, also want to touch on the wide receiver position. Uh, kind of get a feel for what you you look for traits wise of the position. Uh, you know, and seeing guys like Chase Claypool and some of the you know CD Lamb and Jefferson and these rookies excelling early. Uh, have a conversation around there. But I wanted to start too with uh, get your get your feedback and your uh, your thoughts on what's going on in Atlanta right now. Dan Quinn let go after. Uh, a winless start, no real surprise there. Uh, was a little bit of a surprise to see uh, Dimitrov fired as well. Uh, now, um, it maybe, but I guess it, it avoids the next, uh, you know, ten weeks of, you know, the being asked, uh, you know, are, are you going to survive? Are you going to still be here and things like that. So, it gives Atlanta kind of a head start on where they're going to go next, both head coach, uh, front office. Um, I, I thought Arthur Blank was very candid in his comments about Matt Ryan. Uh, not committing to Matt Ryan for the for the long term. Yeah, I was and, surprised. And he, well, and I I don't. He he was very candid because he said it's not my decision to make. It's it's whoever uh, he. Well, first of all, he said it's up to Matt too. You know, Matt might not want to be part of a, a rebuild. Um, and it, but he also said it's up to the new uh, decision makers that he that are going to bring in. So, uh, really interesting things going on in Atlanta. I, what, what's your read on that situation? Well, I, you know, Atlanta has been a tough one because I've expected so much from them. But I think Atlanta, one of the ways they got themselves in trouble is they they weren't successful in building um, in building inside out. Uh, they were successful, or they certainly tried to build from outside in. When you look at Matt Ryan, of course, that was you know years ago before Thomas. No, Thomas Dimitrov. That was his first draft, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. Was Matt Ryan, or he came in in 2008? I think it may have been Matt Ryan was his first pick. I um, think so. Julio Jones, of course, was you know the first pick in 2011. They gave up uh, additional first round pick to move up and get Julio Jones. That's he drafted Calvin Ridley in the first round. That's building from from outside in. I want to say what round was Devontae Freeman? Was he second or third? I want to say even fourth, maybe. Yeah. He he, was, oh yeah, he was uh, he was fourth. Yeah, he yeah. was a uh, he was a fourth round he was a fourth round pick, but um, you know they tried to to build the offensive line and for a little while it was looking pretty good when they went to the to the Super Bowl, but some of that was also Kyle Shanahan and implementing outside zone and so when you have the outside zone game, I think it's you don't have to have the greatest talent you just have to have certain types of talent you have to have certain types of players and if you know how to coach it well you can get the running game going and then the running game really leads to a much better passing attack, especially off play action. To me, where Thomas Dimitrov, he was not wrong in doing this. And Dan Quinn was a no brainer. Um, He's been on dream street ever since, you know, the unbelievable loss. And Kyle Shanahan was partly to blame for that Um, in the Super Bowl. They just never have gotten their mojo back. It's just never come back. But I don't blame the one thing I I I thought that, Thomas Dimitrov did well. He just missed on the evaluations. 
is he tried to build the rush. And I think that's very important. Vic Beasley was a first pick, the you know, the eighth pick of the first round of 15. He's gone. Um, and then he drafted Jalen Collins in the second round. He did he did not work out. So in 2015, your first and second round picks did not work out. Keanu Neal and and Deion Jones did work out. He he wanted to strengthen up the middle. That was a really good job uh there. In 2017, Tack McKinley. Really hasn't done anything. Duke Riley, not even on the team anymore. Calvin Ridley was a win in 2018, but Isaiah Oliver in the second round has just been okay. 2019, you tried to build the fronts with Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry, but that really has not, you know, and that's good. You did what you were trying, what you, what good organizations do. You just have not gotten the, the overall benefit um, of trying to build the fronts successfully. And I think that's, you know, I think ultimately that's where Atlanta's problem is. They haven't had enough rush, and they haven't been good enough in the running game since that Super Bowl loss, and they've kind of lost their way. And now they're just a collection of what looks like talented pieces. You know, you see talent. I'm expecting more from Atlanta every year, and yet they find themselves in the same predicament year after year. And and I think you needed a clean sweep. The Texans got a clean sweep. I think it was time from – that's a 12-year run for Dimitrov. That's a long run. It was probably time for a clean sweep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And it's, I got a question uh, this week on Twitter about it. Okay. If Atlanta ends up with the number one overall pick, uh, is Trevor Lawrence the pick? And I say, absolutely. I, I'd be shocked if he wasn't. And I think obviously the, the Matt Ryan contract uh, complicates things a little bit. I think there's ways around it. We all know that. Um, but it's, you know, you just mentioned the clean sweep. Uh, I mean, nothing against Matt Ryan, but you know, he's a 35 year old quarterback, and you know, this might be an opportunity for them to uh, go the full uh, clean sweep with a new head coach, general manager, and quarterback. And if they had the number one overall pick, uh, I, I do think Trevor Lawrence uh, would be the guy, and they just have to figure out what they do with Matt Ryan. I don't know if he's tradable with that contract. Um, uh, some way, somehow, I, I think they'd figure out a, a way to get that done, though. So dead looking at it right now, I don't think you may, you didn't mention dead cap, did you? The dead no. cap. So, oh, it, it complicates things. It's there's so much dead cap right now. Yeah. If they if they they really can't cut him now. I mean, they can't right. get rid of him until after two thousand twenty one. And even if they did it ne- next year, they could do it next year and they take a cap hit of nine million. But this year would be the perfect year to do it. I'm sure the Dallas Cowboys would love to get their hands on him, although that would mm. complicate things with, you know, with Dak Prescott. But I don't think they're all in with Dak Prescott or they would have gotten a contract deal done with him. And I think some of what Dallas is dealing with is what we talked about. Is Dak a playmaker? Is, is he a game breaker or is he a snap taker? Because, you know, he's going to be paid a ton of money. And I think they're uncomfortable with guaranteeing that level of money. But it doesn't matter because I don't see how you can get out of this. I mean, it's just too much dead cap, um, too much of a dead cap hit for Matt Ryan. I just don't think you can do it right now. Yeah, it might be a situation where he's maybe a bridge quarterback for a year, uh, but he maybe he's not comfortable with that either. So they, they have to work around that, no question. But like I said, if if the Falcons end up with a top pick, uh, I, I think Lawrence is the pick. Do you, do you agree with that, disagree? Oh, yeah. I think anybody who gets – I think anyone yeah. who gets the pick, I mean, other than anyone who has a legitimate chance at it, I think the Giants, to me, the Jets are just easily yeah. the oh, worst yeah. team. I don't even think it's remotely close that the Jets are the worst team. So I'm already figuring out where Sam Darnold is going to go. Um, do you think, 
you know, a lot of times I was told general managers get one shot that a lot of mm-hmm. times you don't have, you know, recycled GMs like you have recycled coaches. I don't know. I kind of, I would consider Tom's Dimitrov. I think Dimitrov has done enough good things. And, and when I look at the totality of what he's done, I think he gets it. Um, he didn't have a great run there. I'll give you an example here in Houston. They need a new GM. I wouldn't be completely opposed to Thomas Dimitrov who has tentacles around the league, who know the good coaches and knows other good personnel people. I would consider Thomas Dimitrov here with the Houston Texans. If I were, um, if I were the Texans, I would, I would take a look at him. I mean, he's a guy that might get an interview with me. Oh, absolutely. I think he's, he's worth the interview for sure. There's no substitute for experience and he brings uh, quite a lot of experience. And I think he's just, you know, I've talked with him a few times, um, uh, not enough to really know him, but I, I think enough to understand how, how open-minded he is, how intelligent he is. Um, it's not just like he has the soul of an old football guy, but he's not necessarily doesn't have the brain of one, if that makes any sense. I mean, he's he's very open-minded to different things, and he's I, I think what he did in Atlanta, even though it ended uh, obviously on a sour note, um, I, I thought he did uh, plenty of positives that w- would earn him an interview and. Uh, I think that that that's an interesting fit in Houston. I, I think that would make some sense. Um, I, you know, we've seen some other general managers. You know, Dave Gettleman uh, get second chances where uh, you know you kind of question uh, whether or not they should have. But I, I do think Dimitrov is. Uh, I think he's deserving of at the very least uh, strong consideration. Plus, he's got cool dad vibes. Like he looks like <laughs> he looks like one of the only GMs in the league, along with Les Snead, who might end up on the outskirts of Burning Man. Like you could see him. Okay, you know what? I could see him ending up at a, a, a at a big concert venue or a big uh, festival. You know, before pandemic, of course. Uh, Dimitrov is one of the coolest dudes in the in the whole. He is really a really you know. It doesn't matter from a football standpoint. That's a good dude. He's a legit guy, and um, I'm a fan of his. I think he'll get another shot here. Let's uh, let's talk for let's let's get into before we get to wide receivers. Let's talk about that Georgia Alabama game. Yeah, you know, with all that talent on on Alabama's defense, and and it all, a lot of it came back. They were they were injured like Dylan Moses last year. Now you're coming off of a game in which Ole Miss was gashing you. And I know that Alabama thinks Ole Miss somehow had their defensive signs, but it still doesn't make it any less of a concern that this talent that you have defensively had a hard time stopping, um, had a hard time stopping Ole Miss's offense. Now you're going to go up against the Georgia offense that is clearly better than they were last year. Uh, the offensive line is better, and Kirby Smart and his unit, I thought. Jeremy Pruitt's Tennessee team, you know, they showed they're a much better group of players now. He's getting much better talent. But in the second half, man, Kirby Wilson yeah, and his team just said, yeah, hey, we're, we're it's time to get to work. And uh, I'm really excited about this. Who's your favorite matchup? What's your favorite matchup on the board between these two squads? I mean, it's got to be on the outside with uh, the the wide receivers and corners in this game, uh, yep. specifically Alabama's receivers against Georgia's corners. Um, you know, I, I, when you look at Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, uh, especially going up against, I mean, Georgia has three corners that all of them might get drafted top 100 next April. They're that good. Uh, Tyson Campbell, 6'2", 185, speed, twitch, toughness. Um, I, there's so much to like about the traits that he brings. He needs to 
still put it all together and, and figure out how to you know use all of his gifts in unison. But the uh, talent is just uh, ridiculous there. Eric Stokes, he has uh, uh, he leads uh, the the conference with two interceptions so far this year. Uh, he's been targeted twelve times, uh, Eric Stokes, and he's allowed only two catches for twenty four yards. So just a really uh, tough-minded player. He's another guy who has size, has speed. So, And then DJ Daniel uh, is really, really talented for uh, for Georgia. So those Georgia uh, corners on the outside uh, against the Alabama receivers is going to be a lot of fun. I also think we're going to learn a lot about Mac Jones uh, on Saturday. This will be the toughest defense he has had to face to date. And it's Mac Jones has played really well, no question about it, but um, you know, is he a caretaker or a playmaker? Kind of, yep. you know, what you were talking about earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. Is he a guy that's going to be able to create? Or uh, and there's nothing wrong with guys that you know, point guards who can just get the ball in the playmaker's hands. Uh, but sometimes when you're facing a defense like this, who are going to key on those playmakers, you have to make things happen. And so Mac Jones, this will be a, a big test for him. Uh, what about you? What, what's the matchup you're most looking forward to in this one? You know, I'm really actually looking for uh, this probably won't. I, for me, Devontae Smith, watching Smith work a bit against the corners is something I'm really, really excited about. I also, I'm really interested in watching Alex Leatherwood. Um, yeah. And I was not a huge fan. I wrote him up last year. Um, I did not think he was a first-round talent. I thought he made a smart move of coming back. And I also thought he made a smart move of not opting out and staying into play just from a film standpoint and getting better. I think finding out what he can do against a Kirby smart front that usually will give you a good look off the edge and will also show you some games up front. I get to see his football instincts, his football intelligence. I get to see how he handles uh, some, some redirection in terms of getting outside, setting out to speed, and then working back inside uh, against twists and, and, and spin moves. To me, watching Leatherwood is it, against Georgia. I'm very excited about that. But I also I – also, I know everyone is huge into Najee Harris – And Mm -hmm. I'm coming around on Najee Harris this summer when I watched him, I was just okay on him this year. I like him much more. This is a game where he's going to have to create his own yards. I thought, I think that there's been a a lot of, he has created some yards for himself with his wiggle, his jump cuts up to this point, but this is going to be one where I know he's physical. I want to see how he blends physicality, make you miss and running through the tighter holes because that's what you're going to see in the NFL. So this is a big game for me with Najee Harris to see how he takes command in this game at a variety of times, because to me, I'll just say it right now. I think this could be the game where a Nick Saban assistant finally beats him. And that's Kirby smart. Yeah, I agree that the the, uh, the chance is there. And uh, to your point about Leatherwood, I was maybe I was not surprised, um, but how, just talking to different uh, teams over the summer, how many see him as a guard at the next level um, and are, are grading him as a guard up to this point? And so this is going to be a big test for Leatherwood going up against Aziz Ojulari, uh the redshirt sophomore pass rusher for Georgia, who leads the SECs. The, the SEC with uh, uh, pressures this year with 14 already. So a little undersized, but he's so explosive. Uh, that natural leverage, that natural dip that he has around the corner. He's got some hand swipes. So he's going to give Alex Leatherwood all he can handle. And that, that the winner of that matchup uh, is someone that's going to make himself some money. Uh, no question. And then I, I agree about Najee Harris because uh, he's going up against a tough 
uh, uh, front with uh, especially in, in the, up front with uh, with Wyatt and then Jordan Davis, mm-hmm. uh, but also a linebacker with uh, Monty Rice, who I don't think gets enough love. He had a he had a strip sack and a scoop and score against Tennessee last week. Uh, to me, I think North Carolina's Chaz Surratt is the top senior linebacker in this draft. But then the conversation about who's the next best senior linebacker, there's three or four names in there. And Monty Rice is absolutely one of them. He's in that day two conversation. And so uh, seeing what he can do to, to slow down that Alabama rush attack, uh, going up against Najee Harris and Brian Robinson, that, that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think one other one that I want to mention is you brought up Wyatt. I want to see Wyatt and Landon Dickerson too uh, when they're met mm. if they if they get matched up. That's that's another one because I think they're both a couple of guys who um, have a chance to put good film out there against each other when they're matched up. So, um, I, you know, of course I'm interested in the offensive line, but there really is. I mean, I, I just I just this is a matchup I think where you really do have an intriguing battle of the fronts for both team, offensive and defensive line, um, linebackers, running backs. But then you also have the cornerback wide receiver matchup, primarily for Alabama uh, versus Tennessee's corners. But I'm not Tennessee, but Georgia's corners. So I do do find this to be um, a really – a matchup where you're going to watch tape. And you know how there are, Dane, Dane, every year – there's certain games, and usually for me, SEC teams, I want to see what you do against Georgia. I want to see what you do against Alabama. I want to see what you do against LSU. Like, those are those are the three go-tos. A lot of times it's Florida. Depends on what division you're in. But this is one of those games where you're going to watch this game probably six times because you're going to be studying so many different players for the draft. Yeah, and that that's sometimes the challenge uh you, know, you have to watch a specific player but you can't help but your let your eye wander because there's just so much talent out there and you know we, we we touched on the uh georgia corners and the alabama receivers but i think the best defensive player in this game might actually be uh the alabama corner patrick Sertain. yeah and so to see what he does going up against uh, George Pickens, uh, the really talented sophomore Georgia receiver, or uh, the other sophomore receiver they have, uh, Kiaris Jackson, who's a red shirt. Uh, he, he's draft eligible. So uh, this is a a fun, fun game. And for tomorrow's uh, Thursday's article for my uh, weekly draft watch on The Athletic, I'm uh, going to rank the top 10 defensive prospects in this game. And so I'm, I've been studying tape uh, the last few days of these, these two teams, these two defenses to try and try and separate them up to this point, which is not easy. Cause like you said, there are just so many guys you can watch and consider and just so much talent out there. You know, quick, quick one off on certain he's listed at 202 pounds. Does he look 202 to you? He's very lean muscled. So, you know, he, he doesn't have a lot of bulk on his body. I, I would not have guessed. I mean, but he is so, he is so tall and long that, uh, you know, I, I guess I could buy that he's right around 200 pounds, but he, he, there, I do worry a little bit about the play strength and the bulk because it just doesn't look like he has much on his body. Yeah. And I, I bring that up because I would have guessed he was in the high 180s, to be honest with you. Right. Maybe that's because he is a longer player. But it gets yeah. back to Kevin Johnson. I remember when Kevin Johnson was drafted mm-hmm. by the Texans, I had a personnel guy tell me, we we ended up saying no to Kevin Johnson because we think he's going to get injured because of how he plays. He's physical, but he's built smaller. Greedy Williams is not always the most physical tackler, but he had a shoulder injury, and he's another guy that lacks size. Like I'm starting to come around on this 180-something pound cornerback. It I do realize now – 
the coverage stuff is great, but teams are going to force you into tackle situations. And I think how you approach tackling, how technically sound you are, are you a shoulder thrower? That stuff is starting to matter more and more to me with the cornerback position when I see when when I see a corner that's in a one eighties. Oh, no question. I, I think I'd throw safety in there as well. There are yeah. some teams, if you're a sub 200 pound safety, you, you won't even be considered uh, by certain teams. And, you know, sometimes you can, you can miss on a guy doing that. You can miss on a Buda Baker. Uh, but uh, it just, as a general rule, that's how some teams operate because more times than not, uh, those guys are not going to last in the NFL because of the physicality needed at the position. Uh, it's just, it, it is hard to find. Uh, yeah, you know, I think the game's changing a little bit. Uh, you know, we're seeing more and more defenses getting the best athletes out there uh, over size and, and uh, maybe bulk, but it's still something that a lot of teams operate with. Uh, if you're a sub 200 pound safety, uh, you're not going to be strongly considered. Yeah, that's good. That's good conversation with those. So that's the headline game. It's always the headline game. It really doesn't matter. But there's there's plenty of prospects, um, seniors, underclassmen to watch in that one. One of the guys who was a, a senior who came out this year and waiting come out of me as a senior, he was drafted. And that really may have been difficult for a lot of people, but I kind of felt like I had a I had already in the baseball terminology, I had already had a rep with, with miles Boykin was chase Claypool, his teammate, miles Boykin from Notre Dame. Okay. I got to see big, long, explosive leaper, great tester. I got to see all that with Boykin, but with Boykin, I felt like he really, he still needed a lot of work. There was still wide receiver skills that were underdeveloped. He was very unpolished. He, he was not polished, but he had tons of traits. When I watched Chase Claypool, I saw a guy, a guy who could get after you as a run blocker when he wanted to. I saw somebody with much more polish as an athlete, a guy who honed his athleticism into his position at wide receiver. And I saw a player who could potentially be a matchup disaster. When I saw him added to the Steelers, the first thing I thought was, this is Ben's new tight end on the red zone. This is going to be Ben's new big slot in the, in the, in the end zone. I mean, he could play outside, but all I could think of was this could be the guy that really fits great with Ben Roethlisberger because Ben will get hyper obsessed with one target. If he trusts you and we saw him go for a running touchdown on a jet sweep, which shows his athleticism for that size. But then when he's in the red zone, Dane, we knew he was going to be a nightmare, but I think to a much larger extent, opposed to just talking about chase Claypool, the idea of the big receiver, because now we have a guy like Pitts in Florida, who is really a big receiver. You really have to look at those guys differently because the matchup is so difficult on the next level yeah and you mentioned the size and how uh, you know that's really what drives the conversation that we're having right now but I think you have to also make sure that the toughness matches the size because not all big guys are tough right and I think with Chase Claypool that's not something you worried about. He's 6'4", 238 pounds. Uh, you know, he went out and ran the 4'4", in the 40-yard dash. He was over 40 inches in the vert. You know, just a freak athlete. But something that I loved about Claypool at Notre Dame is the toughness that he played with. He was not afraid to get after it uh, with cornerbacks on the outside. Sometimes uh, it hurt him because he could be baited into some of that extra contact. 
but I, I did not question his toughness. He had 25 career tackles at Notre Dame because he was a big time special teams special player. teams ace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you knew he was tough, and we're seeing that right away because uh, Claypool has the size, he has the athleticism. But in order to play in that offense uh, for the Steelers, and you know just the different ways they're manufacturing those touches. Uh, to get on the field and exploit the defense, you have to have that toughness, and Claypool has it. So, you know, I, I, I feel like I definitely underrated him because I thought it would be more of a learning curve. Um, uh, just, you know, as he expanded his route tree and uh, developed more uh, of the football instincts in terms of how to get open, how to manipulate coverages, things like that. Um, I, I thought it would take a little bit more time, but I mean, he's he's playing really well, and I, I we have to give the Steelers credit because he they're putting him in position where he is able to have those one on one matchups. They're able to put him in position to succeed, whether it's inside, outside, spread the defense out, and you know I think the the Eagles also did him a few favors on, on Sunday with the way they tried to defend him. But all the credit to Claypool, and I think yeah, kind of like what you said, once the Steelers drafted him. Uh, it, in the mid second round, it was kind of like, okay, well, I think I, I think I had him a little bit too low because I know he's going to a situation where they're going to use him correctly and they're really going to put his strengths on display. Yeah. And I think, you know, he wouldn't have been as good a fit in Baltimore. Like you, you can, right. you can pick and choose teams all over the place. We, we see it all the time. There are certain players that need certain fits. There's nothing wrong with that, but when we evaluate and, and I had a, I had a, a wide receiver coach told me, no, a running back coach told me this one time. He said, Lance, always remember when you're, when you're hitting a guy on, you know, we were going over a guy's strengths and weaknesses. He goes, always remember that we're looking for a guy with this kind of strength. So a lot of times when you see a neg, when you say, well, this guy's scheme specific, well, you also have to remember, sometimes you have to grade them assuming that that right scheme, the scheme specific scheme is going to be the team drafting them. And, and that can be the difference between, you know, being a, um, a three-star player or a four and a half star player. If you just want to go one through five stars on it, finding Yes, I remember when Travis Johnson, who was a clear-cut 4-3 team, was drafted by the Texans in a 3-4 defense. It was a terrible fit. He was not Mm -hmm. a 3-4 player. However, um, when Chase Claypool goes, instead of to, you know, instead of being an outside receiver like Miles Boykin was with the Ravens, now he's with the Steelers where Big Ben is used to targeting big targets. Oh, this is perfect. You know, it's perfect. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's have a little bit of a, a larger picture conversation when it comes to the receiver position. If we had to break it down um, you know, into general traits... Uh, let, let's just, let's go through it. I think for me at least, uh, and I'll be uh, eager to get your, uh, feedback. The number one trait that I look for at the receiver position is just pass catching skills. And I put that into a very broad term, uh, because I think that includes, that includes your hands, that includes focus, uh, the ability to adjust that my ball mentality, um, find the football, uh, whether it's tracking over your shoulder or uh, in contested situations, uh, just your pass catching skills has to be, for me, the number one trait that I'm looking for uh, at the receiver position, because that's what it all comes down to. Can you catch the ball? Can you finish catches? And so those pass catching skills are paramount. I think you just made a great point and it's very understated, but why would you not? And and we are all guilty of this. I'm I'm looking at separation. I'm looking at speed, uh, contested catches, which does fit into the catch category as you mentioned it. <clears throat> but at the, at the end of the day, you're a receiver. What does that mean? You have to catch the ball. If you're yeah. a running back, what do you have to do? You have to run. If you're a quarterback, you have to throw. Why would you not start there? And, and so many of us don't start with that basic. We get we get too excited about you know the feet for an offensive lineman. You have to worry about engagement too. First and foremost, how do they block? Mm. It's the same thing with, with, with wide receiver. You make a really great point. You better make sure they can catch first or at some point they are going to end up on somebody's bench if they can't catch. And, and like you said, catch is a relative term. Contested catches going there. You can you you can hit sub 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 uh, categories of catch, contested catch. Um, catch radius. It could be hand strength. It could be hand-eye coordination. You're getting into all that, but you're a hundred percent right. If you can't catch, if you got a lot of drops, you're Hakeem Butler. Hakeem Butler had right. a bazillion drops, but you know what? People saw him make plays down the field. These big splashy headline plays. He's so big, but he had drops every single year. It was a big problem. Sammy Coates drops. Like, yeah. where are these guys now? you got to be right. able to catch it first, and then you can move on to the next thing. So I'm with you um, on that. I'm going to back that up with one of my traits that I really like, and I want to I see you create catch space, and that's either through burst separation to create a small window 
or that's through physicality like a DeAndre Hopkins and the ability to create create late catch space for yourself. That comes into catching the ball, but I think it I think it gets to the larger picture of allowing a window for a quarterback. Can you create a window, whether it's a little bigger with separation or a little smaller with late catch space? Yeah, I love that. And that that kind of works along with what I was looking at for my my second one, which was just route athleticism. Uh, you know, do you have the body control to snap out of your brakes to give your quarterback that target to create that little bit of separation. Uh, you have to have that burst out of your cuts, out of your breaks. Uh, you know, for some guys, it's it's as simple as you know that that stutter step, that double move, the uh, ability to take the top off a of defense. Uh, can you sink your hips at the top of routes? Uh, so you're you're manipulating coverage uh, with your movements, uh, your different body gestures in your route. So that route athleticism, the route awareness is so key and right along the lines of what you're talking about, because that if you're a very uh, savvy route runner, a very athletic route runner, and you understand every, you know, every, every little step you take, every little movement has purpose, you're doing it for a reason uh, that that's going to lead to separation. So, uh, you know, it could be uh, stride manipulation. It, it, it could be uh, just being staying active. So you're exploiting holes in zone coverage. So just that route athleticism and route awareness, uh, I think goes hand in hand with what you're saying. Yeah. And one of the, one of the lessons I learned early on is that route running can be taught like um, mm-hmm. route athleticism cannot be taught, but route running can be taught and route running the ability to create leverage, the ability to manipulate with your eyes. You can have guys who are lesser athletes create separation and it's not good enough for inaccurate quarterbacks, but if that same guy you know, gets with an accurate quarterback. All of a sudden he's with Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or or Kirk Cousins, who I think can throw with some accuracy. All of a sudden, you know, the smaller window that you can create makes a bigger difference. If you get with an inaccurate quarterback, within you shouldn't be looking at at wide receivers who lack athleticism uh, or who who lack route running. You don't you don't want that. It's the same thing with pitching. You've got to be able to disguise your pitches. You can't be too predictable. There's a lot of guys who don't disguise their routes. They round their routes off. They don't stem route. They don't stem corners off their routes and I'll beat them up for it. But, but I have found over the years that that can be a mistake. Some guys are too stiff to run certain routes. So that's that route athleticism you mentioned. That's a physical deficiency, the inability to run certain routes or to, or to break it off. Um, But, but I've seen a guy like um, James uh, Washington, who I think was just a go. He was a go route guy, go route guy, go route guy at Oklahoma state. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's, he's gotten better at running routes, the intermediate routes. Will Fuller has gotten better at running some of those intermediate routes. So I do think route run, even uh, the guy that we've talked about before, DK Metcalf has gotten better Mm -hmm. at certain routes. So route running can be taught stiffness, lack of speed and lack of burst and twitch that cannot be taught. And so you have to separate the two. Is a guy a bad route runner or is he physically incapable of creating separation? 
And I think we're seeing that right now with Jalen Waddle at Alabama, who we know he has the athleticism uh, with the movements that he offers, Sick the burst routes. Yeah, wow. And, and and we didn't necessarily see that last year. No. Uh, we saw it a little bit, but this year <laughs> we're seeing him really develop that route awareness. Uh, you know, his ability to work himself open. Not, you know, of course, it's because he has a burst and he just he's a little more sudden than most of the corners he's going up against. But he understands how to, uh, you know, find a def- defensive back's blind spot. He understands uh, just how to create some of that separation with technique and not just athleticism. And, and that's where, you know, the best receivers, uh, I think, that they meet in the middle, where they know they have the athleticism to do it, but they don't rely just on that. They know it takes a little bit of savvy, a little bit of discipline, a little bit of know-how to really beat the coverage and create that separation. So I, I think Jalen Waddle is a good example of that right now. I think he's a great example. I think Dante Smith is a really good example as as mm-hmm. well. Let me ask you, who did you think was the best route runner in, in college football last year? in the draft. Ooh. And last year's class. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see here. Uh, that's a good question. I'm trying to, I mean, lamb was definitely Jerry Judy. I mean, the, the, the guys at the top, I mean, Justin Jefferson, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, those three really stand out as being Van Jefferson was a really good one too, but I was going to go yeah, with Jerry. Oh yeah, definitely. I was going Jerry Judy, right? I'm okay. thinking Jerry yeah. Judy to, in 2018, who was the best route runner? It was Calvin Ridley. More than likely, yep. you weren't going to yep. find. So you look at Calvin Ridley, you look at Jerry Judy, and now Jalen Waddle, who I agree with you. I hadn't seen him do the things that he did uh, in the last game. I knew Smith was a good route runner and ran real right. sharp, tight routes. That's coaching. And I want to I want to give props for a second to Alabama. One of the reasons I always look at Alabama tape is just when I want to find out how another guy is going to do against Alabama. It's not just because they have the best talent, which a lot of times they do, but let me tell you something. When I have an offensive lineman going against Alabama's defensive tackles or defensive ends, I know that they are going to have to go up against a guy who knows how to use his hands well, who's quick into their frame, who's good at two-gapping, stack and shed, at leveraging, at going against double teams. I am going to get a really good look at linebackers who scrape and fill their run fits. I'm going to get a really good look at cornerbacks who stay low on their back pedal and typically are going to be long and can play the ball. I'm going to get a really good look at offensive linemen who who, who take proper steps hand placement. This gets to um, Alabama doesn't just get the best players. They develop the hell out of their players and those wide receivers. That's not an accident that Jerry Judy, Calvin Ridley, Jalen Waddle, all are great route runners and sharp tight route runners. That's all developed. Yep. hundred percent. And, you know, I think that another conversation with Waddle and that kind of brings me to something else that I think is important at the wide receiver position in terms of traits is just what you, what you can do after the catch. Uh, some guys are possession targets where they're going to make the tough catch, uh, but then either they're going to the ground or they're going to sneak out out of bounds. I mean, they're, they're not going to have that little bit of extra juice where they can catch it in stride and immediately get their head, their eyes up the field to uh, to, to make something happen. And some guys just have that that uncanny ability to understand where all the defenders are around him. So before the ball is even in there, his hands, he can make a move so he can set up his moves after the catch. And some guys, I think Waddle falls in that category. Uh, some guys are just very, very natural at that. And I think that's becoming, uh, you know, when, when I first started doing this, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was, 
you know, okay, can he get open? Can he catch the football? Okay, that's don't make this overcomplicated. Can he do those two things? Th- that third thing is what can he do after the catch is becoming more and more important because that's those hidden yards between a possession target and a yak target that matters. Uh, you know, that impacts the final score of a football game. So, uh, you know, give me the guys that can create after the catch and, and be dynamic playmakers. Yeah. And, and one of the things, so I was going to say, like, I also want a guy who's a dog. Like, I, me personally, yeah. I love when the ball's up. I want to know that, and, you know, Rashad Bateman, this is a concern of mine watching tape of him over the summer. I felt like he gave in too easily to Lamar Jackson from Nebraska when they matched up in two different games, two different years. And, I want a guy who, when the ball is thrown, I want him to flip the odds to be, I want him to be the house in a casino where the odds are in his favor, not against Mm -hmm. him. And I want him to flip the odds in his favor. And to do that, it takes number one instincts. I think just like a great rebounder in basketball has instincts of where the body positioning is and where the ball is. It's amazing how JJ um, Arcega Whiteside uh, is a guy like that. I think Sage Surratt is like that. Yes, who We talked yes. about Ch- Sage was a great bas- high school basketball player. Yeah. These great guys just player. have a great feel for how to put you on their hip and how to keep you there. Uh, and so I think that's, that's something that I really love seeing the body positioning and the will and determination to win. But one of the things, Dame, is, is with wide receivers, and I want to see if you find this, it's a game of mix and match. Like, if I have a burner, okay, I might, he might not have to be a dog as a wide receiver because he's going to get open. I want to make sure that if he's going to be open, he's going to catch the ball. I also want to mm-hmm. make sure he can get off press. So, But now if I have a guy who doesn't have – explosive speed, I want to make sure that he runs sharp, you know, sharp routes or can get out of his breaks quickly. And I want to make sure that he is great with contested catches. Uh, but but he doesn't have to have the speed. It's like, all right, I'm willing to sacrifice one thing, but you need to give me two things. I'm never willing to you can't just have speed. You can't just have great hands. Like you have to have two things. You don't have to have all three. If you do well, you're Julio Jones if you have all four. Sure. You know, but if you have like Andre Johnson didn't have great hands, but he had all the rest of it. Um, Chad Johnson, Chad Johnson pretty much had all those factors. That's why he was a good Terrell Owens. Hmm. His hands could be a little spotty sometimes, but he competitive. No one was going to be more competitive with the ball in the air. So I think you look at Denver. I think you look at Denver. You have a good contrast of. Uh, receivers that are, are like that they're just different like court and sutton because he he what he offers uh, is uh, different than jerry judy but they complement each other well yes. and neither have it all but they both are uh you know well off with uh, having you know two of the three or three of the four uh, based on what you're saying what about keenan allen keenan allen's like a four seven guy but right he does those other things that we've talked about just exceptionally well. And he'll play forever, just like Larry Fitzgerald, because Larry Fitzgerald has competitiveness. He 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 has honed his craft. He made a team first decision by moving inside to the slot when Bruce Arians was there. And he is still playing football because he know he catches the ball exceptionally well and he does all the little things. And he's a great teammate and he's willing to block and you know, that's how you end up playing longer is you're willing to do more things than the other guy. Right. And, I, you know, we, we've been glowing about Jalen Waddell. Uh, but one of the reasons why I think uh, Jamar Chase is wide receiver one in this class uh, is because of that toughness that you've been talking about. Uh, just the way he is physical to the football. Uh, not every receiver is comfortable with a man on his hip. 
but Jamar Chase, he has that dog in him, that toughness. He'll block. Um, you know, he he can create after the catch, break tackle. So uh, I think that's why I still think Jamar Chase uh, is the wide receiver one. Although Jalen Waddle, with the way he's playing, you know, might at the end of the day end up competing for that spot. But uh, another really talented wide receiver class coming up. Yeah, and good luck when the ball's up in the air. Uh, when when Joe Burrow would hang it up, it was like, well, yeah. Good luck, corner, because he comes back to the ball better than anyone else. He high points it better than anyone else. He can go up and over you. Like Chase is special when the ball is in the air. He's really yeah. special. And, and so is T. Not, Higgins. T. Higgins was too, yeah. but Higgins didn't have the same explosiveness up the field um, that that Chase did. Waddle does, but Waddle doesn't have to make as many contested catches because you're nowhere near him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Chase isn't, you know, Julio Jones size. He's more six foot, you know, around 210 pounds. So what he's doing is just even more impressive considering he's not, uh, you know, the, doesn't have necessarily the size of some of these, uh, you know, bigger targets like a Chase Claypool or Julio Jones, those types of guys. So makes what he's doing even more impressive. That's about all I got on wide receivers. I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking at anything else that I can. I do think it is interesting, though, that now with so many you know, wide receiver screens and so many quick games being played that anytime you have a wide receiver, that's a willing blocker. I think the two, the two things that mm-hmm. one is that you mentioned yards after catch on the short catch and run stuff like Brandon Ayuk, that matters. And then number two, a guy who is willing to be a little extra as a blocker that can make all the difference in the world running, running from 11 personnel or running quick game outside. And you want to run some, you know, some little quick screens and stuff like that. If you have somebody who's willing to be a dog out there and, and lock up and stay connected to the block. I mean, those are little things or the ability to be an ace on special teams as a gunner. Um, as you know, and we're not, we don't have to be talking about first and second. We don't even have to be talking about wide receiver one, two, or three. If you're a wide receiver that is a willing special teams player and will go out there and go on coverage teams, man, that stuff matters. That's a big uh, differentiator when two teams are, when a team is looking at two receivers, if you're a dude who will go out there and as a gunner or, or cover kicks like chase Claypool, that'll push you up around. Yep. And I think a perfect example, um, is at LSU. Uh, you know, Terrace Marshall is doing a great job this year. Jamar Chase, obviously, uh, going to be the one of the first receivers drafted, if not the first. Racy McMath, uh, senior LSU wide receiver, 6'2, 225 pounds, 4'4 athlete. The offense hasn't necessarily been there from him, mm-hmm. but this guy is an elite special teams player. He will be drafted in April based off his special teams alone. And, you know, whatever else he gives you on offense is kind of just extra. So uh, for those that have not heard about Racy McMath, keep him on your radar because that's special teams ability. Uh, he showed it on Saturday, uh, this past Saturday against Missouri, when he raced down the field as a gunner, forced the fumble, uh, LSU recovered it and then punched it in uh, for the touchdown. So he is just, he's that type of player you're talking about who is still learning as, uh, you know, the ins and outs of playing offense and being a consistent wide receiver. But what he does on special teams is going to keep him a, a around uh, to at least give him a shot at having yeah. an NFL future. And we saw that with Russell Gage when he came out of LSU yeah. and he's developed into the number three receiver. And, you know, we saw that with Matt Collins. Now it didn't work out, um, right. you know, out of North Carolina, but it was his special teams play that really elevated him. So, yeah, that's another thing. Make sure you keep an eye on that. 
Yeah, all right. Well, that's a great conversation. We're going to try to do this uh, each episode now, try to do a different position, touch on uh, all the traits we look for, the evaluation technique, what's important, maybe what's overrated, things like that. So uh, look forward to that uh, in future episodes. So uh, you can find Lance at Lance Zerline on Twitter. I'm at DP Brugler. Uh, You can catch us next week on Prospects to Pros.